Today on Shtetl, we are exploring a place called Yiddishland. Where is it? What happens there? What is it all about? And why are young people drawn to this place that some of us have never heard of? We're going to hear from some of the people, the young uh, cultural producers who are quite involved with this new Yiddish cultural scene and find out what it is that uh, draws them to this world. There's going to be lots of great music on today's show, so stay tuned. And to listen to this or past episodes of Shtetl on the Shortwave, you can download them from iTunes or at shtetlmontreal.com. Well, one, two, three, four, join the marching jobless corps. We don't have to pay no rent, sleeping in a camping tent. Dumpster diving, don't take money, every bite we share with 20 Houses, cars, and other shit For the richest benefit What do workers get for pay? Hungry, broken, thrown away Hungry, broke, and thrown away This episode of Shtetl on the Shortwave, I'm your host Tamara Kramer and I'm really excited about today's show. It was recorded live at Kles Canada 
um, just this past summer and we heard from some of the people who have been going to Close Canada for a long time, some uh, who are involved in creating music with uh, with Yiddish content and Yiddish poetry and Yiddish writing. A perfect example of which is the song we just heard by Daniel Kahn and the Painted Bird, The March of the Jobless Corps, which is a song that he recorded in Yiddish and English based on the poetry of a man named Mordechai Gebirtig, uh, who was born in 1930 in Poland. And, and what it is about this world that they, uh, they feel connected to. So we spoke with Anthony Russell, Dan Kahn, Shane Smulian, Esther Gottesman, Sarah Gordon, and Benji Fox Rosen. And to start off, uh, I asked them to introduce themselves to us and to tell us how it was that they first came into contact with Yiddish and Yiddish culture. Um, my name is Benji Fox Rosen. I am a bass player and singer, and uh, I write music as well from, from Yiddish texts. I became interested in Yiddish, uh, Yiddish language primarily through Yiddish music and through Yiddish songs. My grandmother um, is a lovely woman and a terrible singer, and she would sing uh, songs by Mordechai Gebirtig from Krakow, and she, was also, she is also from Krakow. I, in fact, have a memory of being in the car with her, and we were listening to Bob Marley quite loud. And, right. and she was in the back seat, and she appeared to be singing along, but then you, you, you leaned in a little closer, and she's like, so that's sort of how I became interested a, a little bit. It's a good mashup, Bob Marley and um, Yankala. They really go to well, go together so well. She introduced me to the to the poetry of Mordechai Gebirtig, and um, I started looking at those songs and uh, began to incorporate them into the music that I was creating. Uh, at that time, I was playing a lot of jazz and improvised music, and uh, that that's how it started off, and it's been all downhill from there. <laughs> Sarah Gordon. I am an educator and a Yiddish singer. I also write some lyrics in Yiddish. My mother was Adrienne Cooper. She was an amazing singer. I basically grew up in the YIVO building, literally, for the first 10 years of my life. Every day after school, I would go and hang out and play on the floors of YIVO. So I was uh, surrounded by Yiddish and Yiddish song, but my educational experience was a very typical kind of Hebrew day school experience until I was in eighth grade, and then I went to a Quaker school. I kind of came into my own with Yiddish actually after uh, taking my junior year um, abroad in Israel where I found that um, the way that I needed uh, to express myself or where I found myself in Judaism was actually um, in Yiddishland and not in Jerusalem. And um, well, I have my shrieking little 80s Yiddish band, Yiddish Princess, which you played before. And um, 
We played in Krakow this summer, which was very exciting, outside, full of 18,000 people screaming and rocking, which was PhD student in ethnomusicology, and I research Yiddish singers, contemporary Yiddish singers, and the ways that they perform for non-Yiddish speaking audiences. And how did I get into Yiddish culture? Um, I, I sort of took a Yiddish class on a whim, um, not expecting to make that the focus of my academic work, um, and got hooked and, and ended up spending m much of my free time in graduate school thinking about and reading about and listening to Yiddish music. And I mean, when I say on a whim, I think in, in retrospect, you know, I, I had this somewhat subconscious sense that there was a, a big piece missing from the kind of uh, exposure to, to Jewish culture and Jewishness uh, that I had, had grown up with. Um, and I was looking, looking for that missing piece. My name is Anthony Russell. Uh, my Yiddish nomen is Anthony Mordechai Tzvi Russell. I don't know how I ended up with four first names. That's just how that happened. Um, let's see. I grew up hearing Yiddish in the home in the form of reruns of The Nanny. And um, then I grew up and I became an opera singer. So I did that for about 15 years. And while I was an opera singer, I happened to see a movie, A Serious Man, and in the movie, a character puts on a record of Sidor Bolarski's, and I heard this voice, and I was like, wow, that kind of sounds a little bit like me. Um, 
and I was shepping some real nachis because uh, I was sure it was Paul Robeson, so I was like, wow, listen to that, man. Black people can do anything. They can even sing in Yiddish. Um, <laughs> he did sing in Yiddish, which I found out later. Uh, so a few years later, I got tired of singing in the opera, and I wanted something that felt closer to who I was and gave me more of a range of possibilities as a singer. And I thought I would look up um, all of those amazing Yiddish recordings of, of Paul Robeson. And they didn't exist uh, <laughs> because it was Sidor Bolarsky. So that's how I came to Yiddish, um, singing the repertoire of the great Sidor Bolarsky. In in mächtigen Wasserdem Kaden, dort steht sich ein kleiner Jurte, in ewiger Schneeenball halten. Dort steht sich ein kleiner Jurte, in ewiger Schneeenball halten. Sie steht sich a spielfahren Sturm, verworfen in mitten dem Feld, durchmacht den Last year, I started a project where I was combining um, traditional Jewish music with traditional African American roots music, and that was realized recently with the amazing Michael Winograd and Anthony Coleman, who I. Uh, met here at Class Canada. So I'm continuing work with that. A lot of the texts um, in both traditions mirror each other. And a lot of it is an act of um, projection. You have African-Americans projecting themselves over Jewish narratives. So it's really rich and I'm still working with that. Bernard Adamus, vous écoutez Shtetl on the Shortwave, live on CKUT 90.3 FM. Cześć, tutaj Bernard Adamus, słuchacie Shtetl on the Shortwave na CKUT 90.3 FM. Je revois la ville en fait! 
Shtetl, near to Detroit. <laughs> I, I grew up uh, in, in Michigan. I studied theater. I became a songwriter. I became a folk musician. And, and uh, when I was young, I, I never really was taught much about Yiddishkeit or the Yiddish language. I didn't grow up hearing it from my grandmother, who definitely spoke it, but I didn't hear it. I wasn't taught about it in my Jewish education. It wasn't a part of the identity that they uh, formed for me there. And then years later when I was living, well, actually before I was living in New Orleans, but on the streets of New Orleans, I became infected with klezmer music. And I, I really fell in love with the music. It was around that time I, I got more and more interested in, in, in these, uh, these other traditions of, of Jewishness. And then coming here for the first time almost 10 years ago, I, I found that there was this, this amazing um, kind of virtual universe that, uh, that exists in, in temporary ways here and there around the world that, that uh, Sarah Ari called Yiddishland. And um, it's a place that's populated by some of the most creative, funky, weird people I've ever met. And uh, I decided to become a citizen of that place. So I, I kind of, I, it was around the time when I was leaving America and I, I moved to Berlin. I s started a band there called The Painted Bird. And my doorway into Yiddish was as a songwriter. Yiddish land, it sounds like an awesome place. I want to I get a passport there. You so, don't need one. That's okay. one of the nice things about it. Hi, I'm Esther Gottesman, um, and my first language is Yiddish. I grew up in a Yiddish-speaking, very Yiddish-speaking home in Austin, Texas, and um, my whole family is Yiddishist, Heise Yiddishisten, for like four generations now. And when I was 12, we all moved to Brooklyn and I discovered all of these people, um, which is when I think I really chose Yiddish in an intentional way. Um, I like 
I mean, it's, it's not a choice. Um, I have always spoken it and I will always speak it. And um, it's, that's just my language, but also being able to speak it in the community of people who feel similar to me politically and culturally and who use it in interesting ways um, makes it a, a pleasure. And I, you can't speak a language unless there are people who you love to speak it with. So, Take a listen. This is Benji Fox Rosen, Hudel Mitten Strudel, off of an upcoming album of his. And we'll be back on Shuttle on the Short Week with more from all of these bright and interesting producers in the Yiddish cultural scene. Was herzig mit dem Strudel, es geschmack dich an, sehr lieb. Ich darf kein Fleisch, kein Süß, weil alles ist mir nüss. Oh, ich hudel, hudel hier, wenn man Strudel gibt, im Schein. Ich habe Landsmann heißt der Pudel. Der Weibel heißt Hudel, denn Hudel, Dudel leben sich ganz wohl. In sein schöner Weibel, Hudel, wagt ihm jetzt gesichert Stuhl. Mama, Chaya, Mama, Schasse, geht zur Mutter. Jeden Freitag, wenn Dudel hat er Zeit, kommt er heim zum Weibel, in er schreit.
this is Riff Cohen and you're listening to Stetel on the short way on CKUT in Montreal. Back on Shtetl on the Shortwave, I'm your host, Mara Kramer, and this is CKUT, 90.3 FM in Montreal, and we've been hearing music and introductions to all the people that uh, I spoke to on this panel at Klez Canada, which is a small sampling of what this Yiddish world is all about. There are tons of people involved, and um, some people speak Yiddish, some don't, some speak a little bit, some produce in Yiddish, some produce uh, culture that is uh, from from Russia or from the Ukraine or some people are in Israel producing what I think is part of this new uh, Yiddish culture and we even have a few people here in Canada doing it as well. So we're going to hear from uh, some of those people later on but first I asked the panelists at Klez Canada what Yiddish culture brought to them in their lives and the first answer that we're going to hear is from Shane Smulian. There's many answers to this question. I think what what Yiddish culture, well, what it brought to me, at least, I can speak from my personal experience, is uh, it, it expanded the notions of of what it what it could look like to you know exist Jewishly. Um, it, it shifted the the center of of Jewish culture from something that was all about institutions, religious institutions, um, and to some degree, sort of state institutions, and uh, opened it up. People have this impression or this idea that being part of the Yiddish cultural world is about being politically radical. How would you guys react to that perception? It helps <laughs> immensely. <laughs> why? I, I mean, one of the reasons why I, love, I really like Yiddish is that I feel like um, there's so many other languages in which there's kind of these triumphalist ideas are kind of built into the language and my experiences in Yiddish have given me other spaces to uh, inhabit politically, uh, emotionally, so I just feel like, I don't know, it's, it's more complicated, it's... it's I think that um, Yiddishland has is united by the language and I, th I agree with Esther that when you say when you try to say oh Yiddish culture without language it doesn't exist whether or not you speak it you're existing in a culture that is intrinsically tied up with language they're not separable I think that that's really the unifying factor and people who show up show up for the culture and for the richness of the culture and um, the openness that that creates because there isn't one uh, great idea or one leader or one um, religious piece to follow. So I think that Yiddishland is a place that has a real spectrum of political ideas and um, commitments. And I do think that, of course, um, because uh, in North America, um, and I guess other places as well, oftentimes kind of conventional synagogue Jewish identity is tied up in a 
in a very, um, in often a pretty clear-cut uh, political place. Are you trying to say it's, it's a bit right-wing or it's a bit I would, conservative? Especially, especially with certain issues, namely who, who is Jewish, what Jewish means, um, Israel, of course, um, and all of that, all of that. And when you show up in Yiddish lands, you are, right? So that there's, it's a space that accepts and unifies. And I think that actually a place like Klez Canada and other places, you really, there is a huge diversity of experiences and ideas. And it's, and this place is actually, it's a place of discourse. And I think that that is, people are willing to talk to people who have very different ideas from them. And I think that that is a, a thing that is missing in many other arenas today. So I think that that just, it's a place where you hear a lot of different ideas. Um, and it doesn't, to me, the uh, there's more dialogue. Um, I was turned on to klezmer music by non-Jews, by non-Jewish musicians, uh, some of whom are here this year and every year. Like, it's, when I first came to Klez Canada, I was in my early 20s, mid-20s. It was the first time I had, in my life when I had been in an expressly, uh, I had been in an expressly Jewish environment um, that was totally open and welcoming to non-Jews and to Jews of all different kinds, like Sarah was saying. People of every political ideology, every attitude towards religion or secularity. It was a very open space. And you asked if, that, if there's something intrinsic in Yiddish that, 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 that uh, would foster that kind of environment. I think there is. Yiddish is a language that is inherently, even in its grammatical structure and its vocabulary, resistant to cultural hegemony. It's resistant to uh, nationalism um, because it's a, it's a language that has very, very... Uh, permeable or unclear or sometimes non-existent borders. It's a language that has never been married to a single geographical location and it's never been married to a single cultural influence. And so this is a wonderful model not only for um, modes of, of Jewish identity and ways of thinking about what it means to be a Jew, but ways in to, uh, how we think about being a citizen of the world especially in this globalized world where, where um, the kinds of, you know, secure, clean identities of like national or ethnic identities that maybe people felt were more solid a hundred years ago, that this is very unclear for everyone. And, and I think in Yiddish there's a wonderful like, model for what it means to be a kind of diasporic world citizen. <laughs> Um, and retain a cultural identity. And that's, uh, yeah, so I think that opens up spaces for what is truly radical. And the idea of challenging borders and challenging those kinds of solid identities, that's radicalism. That goes to the root. Well, if anybody's got a politically radical consciousness in their music and in their klezmer, punk, polka, hip-hop, playing uh, style. It's definitely our very own Canadian Jeff Burner, the whiskey rabbi himself, and his most recent album is The Victory Party, which was produced by so-called Josh Dolgan, and uh, everybody knows that he's, I think, a pretty important person on this uh, new 
Yiddish cultural landscape, uh, and he did a really cool job producing Jeff's album. So let's take a listen to this song, Wealthy Poet, and uh, I encourage you to check out more of Jeff's music. My love, I am a wealthy poet, wealthy poet of renown. My love, I am a wealthy poet, wealthy poet of renown. So when it's time to run again, you wealthy poet of renown. We'll bribe you across a thousand borders, run you till you're safe and sound. Teardrop ruby, teardrop ruby for your throat. I'll get you a teardrop ruby, teardrop ruby for your throat. When it's time to run again, we'll take that ruby from your throat. You will sew that red, red ruby in the lining of your coat. With your picture for the frame I'll get you a pretty passport With your picture for the frame When it's time to run again We'll put your picture in the frame Soon you will forget this country Soon you will forget your name Beyond all recognition. One, two, three. to run a thousand borders stepping lightly run with me hear murmurings that Yiddish culture and Yiddish land in this world is a very queer positive space and it's unlike other Jewish spaces that I've entered in where it seems that there's a, a high percentage of LGBTQ people involved. Why do you think that is? I mean I think for the same reason that Dan just said this is a trans transgressive space in a number of ways and um, because of that there are a variety of, I mean everybody is willing to listen. I mean, it's exactly for the reason you just said. 
And I think also a lot of it has to do with, you know, the Clez Canada is an outgrowth of the Klezmer revival, and the people who, who uh, were involved in that are politically open, LGBT-friendly. And also a large number of the people, especially in the 70s and 80s, who are working on this, not just LGBT-friendly, they are and were queer. I think that then begs the question of, you know, why was that true in the 70s and 80s? You know, is there something inherent in Yiddish language or culture that, that fosters a kind of border-breaking radicalism? Is there something inherent in, in Yiddish language or culture that is itself queer? And, you know, my inclination is yes, and I've talked to a lot of queer people involved in this community, um, and there are various, you know, theories about traditional Jewish gender or about the kind of general fluidity and uh, lack of rigidity, uh, you know, as Dan was saying, in the sort of socio-political sense um, that are somehow, a, a, you know, appealing or are in and of themselves queer. And uh, Last night, Shane, you mentioned something about the ideal of the Jewish male, like Jewish masculinity, and I thought it was kind of funny. What yeah, the I mean, idea? There's a, there's, this comes from some of the work of uh, Daniel Boyarin, who has kind of investigated masculinity in a, a traditional, traditional Jewish context. And, you know, the Jewish masculinity, coming from a Western perspective, looks a little queer. It does, it's not the same kind of masculinity um, that is all about kind of physicality and, um, you know, the ideal of the, of the you know, Talmud scholar is, is, is like the height of masculinity rather than, you know, a, a, a warrior or something. Um, I don't like know. a skinny, white, pale guy. <laughs> right, right. In Hanging a dark, out in with a dark books. room, hunched over a book. Yeah. Um, with glasses. With, definitely with glasses. Coming from the opera, the models for masculinity are hyper, hyper masculine, and the lower the voice gets, the more masculine they get. And I fled that because I wanted a chance to be nerdy and sensitive and uh, all of these things that I get to be in Yiddish. So that's part of the reason why I like being in Yiddish, because I get to be more like me than you know, Votan with a spear and, you know, <laughs> you know, like that whole thing. I mean, I, I dig that too, but like I get to be, I get to be that in Yiddish too sometimes. But, uh, you know, it's, it just feels, it feels more, it feels, it feels more like me, oddly enough. So. That's so sweet. Nerdy and sensitive. I have a nice girl for you, Anthony, but we'll talk <laughs> after. I, I love a shidduch, you know. Uh, I also think that there's a real investment in you know, adult education. Um, these camps are mostly for adults, and uh, the a synagogue model is very much, you know, a model of like, you get married, right? You're straight, you get married, you have children, and they grow up in um, going to Sunday school. And, you know, someone called that like a very breeder model, right? It, it has a lot to do with that. And I think that this really doesn't. Um, you know, you come whenever you come, and you are who you are, and you learn together. And I think that that also builds a more uh, diverse community in terms of what people's relationships are and whether or not they're just, they're, you know, typical straight people having children. Olive breeder model. Yes, the olive breeder model. Very the olive breeder Alabrider in Yiddish is uh, We're All Brothers. It's a very popular song, so the Allbreeder model uh, was uh, the joke they were making. And also uh, the woman who was talking about how um, not only is uh, this community 
queer friendly but also was started by people who themselves were queer was Sarah Gordon. I forgot to mention earlier when Sarah Gordon was introducing herself that she said she grew up uh, at the YIVO Institute and for those who don't know YIVO is the Institute for Jewish Research and it was founded in Poland in 1925 and it's an archive an incredible archive and an incredible resource which now resides in New York City and uh, you can uh, learn all about the cultural history of Eastern Europe and Germany, Russia, and uh, I encourage people to check out that website. It's yivoinstitute.org. And in this next clip, the panelists at this live recording of Städel at Klez Canada talk about what exactly the geographical location of this place called Yiddishland is. Outside of Klez Canada, uh, Klez Camp the Yiddish Weimar in Germany, I think, is another like week-long event where where Yiddish culture is celebrated. Where does Yiddish culture live and thrive outside of these spaces? <laughs> New York City, I think. Brooklyn, the Bronx. Facebook. I mean, we we're friends. We we get together and sing and go to each other's concerts and speak Yiddish and in the internet. In the internet and Skype. I mean, it's a. I'm a little lazy, so when friends of mine on Facebook post in Yiddish, I'm forced to sit there and with my finger on the screen trying to spell out every word. So Yiddish is happening on, on Facebook, I would say. Yiddish is on Facebook in Brooklyn, the Bronx, Skype. You said Germany? Palo Alto, California, actually, is a really good space in California for Yiddish. There's, uh, there's a guy named Hakim Bey who wrote this book called Temporary Autonomous Zones, and I think that, the, the, you know, it's like Yiddishland sort of happens and then it disappears, you know? Like, next week at Camp B'nai B'rith, it's not going to be very Yiddish left here. It's like, you know, and certainly the week before we got here, it wasn't either. Does Yiddishland exist outside of the people that go to Klaas Canada, Klaas Camp, the yes. Yiddish Weimar? Yes. Yes. yes, absolutely, yes. That's what I want to find out about. But they yeah. create it in different spaces, and it's not always a permanent space. But I also think it is a somewhat permanent space sometimes. Where you live, sure. Well, <laughs> I mean, there are, there are places you can go where everyone will speak to you in Yiddish, and that is like, a, there are Yiddish spots. Yiddish, I mean, there used to be more of them, and they used to be bigger and there used to be more people there, but they're, they're still around. Yeah, Australia as well. I mean, there are places all There are places over all over. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Montreal, it, we're very much. Okay, so Yiddish culture and uh, Yiddish land is accessible to people who might not know anything about it, listeners who might not have heard about this world. It's accessible to them, but they have to look for it a little bit, and they need, they need guides. And part of that is the art that you produce, some of the music where there's English and Yiddish that can, can draw people in. But there has to be some sort of curiosity or some sort of way to find this, this, this place that a lot of young Jewish people are not, maybe they're not finding or they're not interested in. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the institutional values that are educating, in the values of institutions educating young Jewish people uh, in the world. And I think that one of the reasons why like Israel is such a great um, a great thing to focus Jewish identity on is because there are so many Jewish identities, and Israel really is like an incredible project to try to bring all of these identities and to meld them together into something cohesive. It's a lot easier of a of a, a project to to bring people together on. I mean, Ashkenazim are Ashkenazim. Like I don't know if I, if I if I were an Ashkenaz. 
I don't know if I would be interested in the Yiddish language. I'd, I'd probably be playing jazz music. Probably make a decent living, too. <laughs> I, also, uh, the, I, I find that the I, sort of Yiddish and Yiddish culture uh, being critiqued for not being kind of open enough to other kinds of Jewish identities, um, that critique almost always comes from Ashkenazi people. And I think it's a less good reason when it comes from, when it, it feels a little more self-hatey um, when it's Ashkenazi people themselves saying, well, I don't want to do Yiddish because it ex it's, it's elitist or it's ex exclusive of uh, Moroccan Jews or Sephardim or, or everyone, every other kind of Jew in the world. Er hört sich die Städtel auf den Shortwave auf CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. Welcome back to Shtetl on the Shortwave. I'm your host, Tamara Kramer. And as you listen to this special edition of Shtetl from Klez Canada, we're actually on a major road trip. Shtetl is currently in Berlin. So keep your ears peeled in the coming months to Shtetl on the Shortwave and uh, check out Shtetl magazine to find out what's happening in the alternative Jewish arts and culture scene in this very lively provocative, artsy, and historical city where there is um, so much to discover in the world of Jewish arts and culture, and we're really excited to discover that with you. So uh, keep your ears peeled for Shtetl Berlin. And now back to our panel at Klez Canada. This year, Klez Canada invited a special guest uh, on the first night Musa Berlin, a clarinetist from Israel, was honored. He played, and he's also an observant Jew. And so in order to uh, respect his religious observance, it was decided that uh, there would be a night of separate dancing. So instead of the usual mixed dancing that happens at the end of a concert at Klez Canada, this on this night, the women and men danced separately. And I brought this up uh, to hear what Benji and, and Esther and Sarah and Anthony and Dan and Shane thought about this decision. I'm just curious to know how people feel, not necessarily about that decision to have uh, separate dancing, but how do you reconcile the fact that Yiddish culture and um, Yiddish language and Yiddish history, part of the roots of it are in the Jewish religion, and how do you reconcile that with, with your personal politics? Benji, do you want to answer that? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I, you know, to talk about the, the mixed dancing, uh, or the separate dancing, uh, you know, it's interesting in a community like this that is quite, quite open, uh, and you do want to invite someone who has something unique to offer, uh, Musa Berlin, and his religious observance is such that he, he doesn't play for, for mixed dancing. I, I think it's important to create a space where he can, we can be accommodating for a set period of time, and then the rest of the time it is as, as it is. Um, I found it a little funny that that was on the first night that we were here, though, and, and it, that the week started off like that with separate dancing. And, and I also want to say about you know, uh, being in, in New York, for example, and being interested in Yiddish, you, 
you probably should check out what's happening in the Hasidic world because there's really amazing new Yiddish culture being created in the Hasidic world. And that requires, um, at certain times, in order to access that culture, for example, uh, to go to Borough Park on Purim, you have, there's a certain degree uh, of just basic courtesy to that community that you, you, need to, you need to fake it a little bit so you can see what treasures they have. I think that, that, that um, yes, and I was also going to say that, that you know, this isn't just a historical thing. I mean, this is a parallel universe, right, with a lot more Yiddish speakers um, and a real, another kind of Yiddish land. But I also think that uh, as a woman, it becomes more difficult uh, because you don't have the privilege of, you know, appearing like a man and being able to enter the spaces in the same way. For example, I... Um, the, mixed dan uh, the separate dancing for me wasn't a big issue. I feel like you don't do it, you don't do it. Um, I agree with Benji that maybe the first night was a little rough. I don't perform in synagogues that observe Kolisha, um, even if they're having just a women's only night. I really, like for me, I just can't. It, it, it hurts. And I think that, you know, that, that is a real, that's an interesting struggle. Um, that I think that, you know, men kind of, under, you know, know about, but don't, um, do, it doesn't feel the same way. And those conversations are always interesting, even within, um, you know, this very tight-knit community about where people are playing and who they're playing with and um, who, what concerts you'll attend and what concerts you won't. What I want to say is basically what it comes down to in spaces like this are is everybody just trying not to be a jerk to each other? You know, like, in diverse spaces, you make compromises, and treating each other like human beings sometimes means putting ourselves in situations that are slightly less comfortable than they would otherwise be, and it, it, it feels worth it. Yeah, I mean... That's how I reconcile it. I, the, the deeper question of reconciling, that, that's a much longer discussion, but, like, for instance, just thinking about my response to Monday, I didn't get the email or I didn't read the email that that was going to be happening so it was a surprise to me on Monday and for a couple of the hours the separate dancing yeah the separate dancing and for a couple of hours I was really pissed I was like really grumpy and like complaining and I was like ah, it's a slippery slope and I was like why don't we like do something and and then you know what I think like after a few hours I was like you know okay you know it's, a, it's sort of like you said you know this is a different space and we all know each other and Lord knows there have been plenty of people who have like tolerated my politics and, and created a space for me to feel safe disagreeing publicly with them here. I felt that considering the intense discussions happening in the media today in Quebec around reasonable accommodation of religious differences and religious practices, that that was a good note to end today's show on. And Yiddishland, the Yiddishland that uh, we were talking about on this panel is definitely a very interesting model for how people with very uh, different beliefs and opinions uh, on religion and politics, how, how they can coexist together in one space. And it's quite unique. So for all the listeners out there, if you were at Klaus Canada and you've got something that you'd like to say about what you heard on the show today, please leave a comment on the website, shtetlmontreal.com, underneath this podcast. And if you weren't at Klaus Canada or never have been, or 
If you have absolutely no idea what the hell we're talking about here when we say Yiddishland, which I think is entirely possible because there was a lot of discussion about how these people on this panel, how Sarah Gordon, how Benji Fox Rose and Anthony Russell, Shane Smooley and Esther Gottesman, hopefully I'm not forgetting anybody, how they all feel living within this uh, space. We didn't exactly describe the content. And uh, so if you're listening and you don't know what the content is, what what it is that makes up this new Yiddish cultural scene. Uh, I hope you'll keep listening to Shtetl to find out more, and I hope that your curiosity is at least piqued, and that maybe next year when the uh, program comes out for Klez Canada, you'll take a closer look and, and see what this world is about. So we're going to go out with a song by Orchestar Criminal, lead singer Giselle Weber, who was invited uh, as I think a scholarship student to Klez Canada and was inspired by a workshop she did there talking about Yiddish gangster songs. Orchestar Criminal sings uh, gangster songs from different cultures. Take a listen and we'll be back in a couple of weeks on Shtetl on the Shortwave. And of course, stay tuned for Shtetl Berlin. I promise it'll be worth it. (laughs) 